Every little thing you think that you need. Every little thing you think that you need. Every little thing that's just feeding your greed. Oh, I bet that you'd be fine without it. Hello, everybody. Welcome to the Minimalist Podcast, where we discuss what it means to live a meaningful life with less. My name is Joshua Fields Milburn. And I'm Ryan Nicodemus. And together, we're the Minimalists. When we get past the material clutter, we often find boxes and bins of emotional clutter buried deep in our hearts and minds. No matter how intelligent or creative someone is or what type of personality they have, It is how they navigate their inner world, their thoughts, feelings, and self-talk that ultimately determines how peaceful and joyous they will become. Today on this public minimal episode, we're speaking with renowned psychologist Dr. Susan David about decluttering emotional clutter. Then this Thursday on the Minimalist Private Podcast, Susan and the Minimalists will answer a bunch more listener questions about getting unstuck. And we'll discuss the four essential movements to become emotionally agile. You can check that maximal episode at patreon.com slash the minimalists or click the link in the description. Your support keeps our podcast and YouTube channel 100% advertisement free because advertisements suck. Our first question today is from Sabrina on Patreon. What does good emotional health look like and what's the best way to achieve it? You know, Susan, so in your book, there on page 59, you talk about the good news about bad moods. Mm-hmm. And so I want to talk about this. And we were talking about it a bit on the Maximal episode, which we already recorded, how unfortunately we moralize everything. Happiness mm-hmm. is good and sadness yeah. is bad mm-hmm. and anger is bad, but bliss is good. And what you've done, especially with this book, I'll hold it up here. It's called Emotional Agility. And what you've done in the book is you've helped separate that moralizing of every emotion because it's not merely about experiencing only the pleasurable emotions, the good emotions, and then shunning the bad emotions. We, In fact, we had a question about grief and how grief can be loving and beautiful and necessary. Yeah. And yet we're often just looking for the good. In fact, it's even in this question, what does good emotional health look like? And I'm reminded of a mystic I heard. Someone asked him if he gets angry. Mm-hmm. And he said, it's not that I'm not capable of anger, but I don't give anyone the privilege of making me angry. <laughs> <laughs> and yeah. it was uh, uh, this morning, Ryan said something and it was, he was like, are you, am I frustrating you? And I was like, you don't have the power to frustrate me. Only yeah. I have the power yeah. to frustrate me. Only I have the power to make me angry. Mm-hmm. Only I have the power to make myself upset. Now, of course, our environment affects us in different ways, yeah. but generally it has to do with the expectations we set. And then when the environment doesn't comport with our expectations, that's when we feel those negative emotions. Yeah. There's this beautiful um, quote, which is expectations are disappointments waiting to happen. And I I love it. I love it. Yes, tweet that. Um, I actually don't know who's, it's not mine. I don't know who it's from, but but I I spoke about about a a bit in the book. Um, Yeah, I mean, the the traditional way of dealing with, and it connects with this question, our emotions is that they're good or bad, positive or negative. Um, And this is a rigid view that is not uh, true to the reality of our experience. I mean, Charles Darwin described how 
our difficult, like Charles Darwin described how all of our emotions, all of our emotions help us to communicate mm. with ourselves. Mm -hmm. What are my needs? What do I care about? What are my values? And others, what are their needs? What are their values? And so on. And so a, a really important part of emotional health is moving away from hustling with whether you are or aren't allowed to feel something mm -hmm. and instead facing into the fact that you do feel it. In, in Emotional Agility, I talk about how acceptance is the prerequisite to change. And it's this remarkable paradox that we have in our own lives. It's, it's like only when you accept, face into the reality of what is, that you can move forward into what could be. And when I say acceptance, I don't mean passive resignation. I don't mean like, oh my goodness, you know, I'm sad. Now I don't feel like getting out of bed and there's nothing I can do. Therefore, I'm going to stay in bed. You know, I don't mean passive resignation. I mean, acceptance of what is, you know, only when we face into a world in which people are unseen and we accept and recognize that, we can actually start changing it. Mm. Only when we accept that climate change is a fact and we recognize that reality will always have its way, that we are able to change that. And so, you know, you speak about anger. Um, I'm reminded, uh, my South African accent, so, so I grew up as a white child in the white suburbs of apartheid South Africa. And it was very much a country and a community committed uh, to not seeing, to not seeing other people's pain, to not seeing and to denial. And I found so remarkable in that context, the uh, words of Nelson Mandela. You know, Nelson Mandela had a remarkable relationship with his anger. Mm. And what he described is how, firstly, his anger helped him to connect with what he cared about. So I would actually suggest that anger is a very, very important emotion. There is no change that has ever happened in our communities or in our society without anger. Yeah. Okay. So anger is crucial. But one of the things that Charles Darwin, uh, so Charles Darwin, one of the things that Mandela described is how it was the recognition of his anger and what his anger was signposting about his values that then, in his words, enabled him to sit down with his oppressors. Mm. And I think this is remarkable and it's worth giving pause to because a core part of my work is the idea that emotions are data. Emotions are data. Emotions tell us what we care about. But emotions are not directives. All right. And this is really important. Just because I feel angry doesn't mean I get to have it out with anyone. Doesn't mean I get to act with impunity. Mm-hmm. So it's almost like if we can kind of step into our emotions and we can say, what are the data that these emotions are signposting? What, what is being threatened here? What value that's important to me is being threatened? So we can use those data, but we aren't letting them be directives. We are, instead of letting that anger hold us, we are instead stepping into our values. Mm. 
So they, the emotions are data, they're not directives. What are the directives? Our values, our wisdom. And, and this is so important because often when we get hooked, when we see on Twitter or when people get really, you know, upset about something and it's like they're upset because their values have been contravened, mm-hmm. but they're operating out of their rage rather than into their values. Mm, yes. And when you operate out of your rage, you actually are very often going against your values. That's right. You know, you often are now breaking down communication. Mm-hmm. And so I love this notion from Nelson Mandela because it was this idea of, I'm not turning away from my anger. I'm learning from my anger. And it's the learning about my values that allows me to then have the conversations that I need to have in order to create change. Oh, that's beautiful. Yeah. Because... The emotions in a way, and I wrote this down as we were preparing for this episode, emotions are like children. You can love them without letting them run the show. Mm. Yes, I, I, emotions are data, not directives. I can show up to my son's frustration with his baby sister. My son's more introverted and he needs his space and his baby sister loves climbing on his head while he's reading. I can show up to my son's frustration with his baby sister. I can see it. I can sawabona it. You know, I see you and by seeing you, I bring you into being. I can do all of those things. It doesn't mean I'm endorsing his idea that he gets to give her away to the first stranger he sees in a shopping mall. That's right. We own our emotions. They don't own us. And so when I say that emotions are like children, you can love them, but they don't get to run the show. I have a nine-year-old daughter. I love her and I can see her, but I don't have to let her tug me around with every impulse that she might have. And so in a way, our emotions, they create these impulses to act angrily, to act against our values. Yeah. And they put me in a situation where... I'm often going to regret what I do, but I can see the emotion for what it is. I can experience the emotion, whether it's being upset or elated or yeah. any sort of emotion in between. And I can see that and I can even appreciate it without it being the, the director of the show. Yeah, I'm, I'm reminded, you know, by this question of, uh, and it, it, it connects also just with this idea of emotional health. I'm reminded so much of... Um, you know, that beautiful Viktor Frankl sentiment that I'm sure you've discussed previously on the show, this idea that I think it's probably one of the most profoundly powerful ideas in human history, which is Viktor Frankl survived the Nazi death camps. And he describes this idea that between stimulus and response, there is a space. Mm -hmm. And in that space is our power to choose. Mm. And it's in that choice that lies our growth and our freedom. So now what is emotional ill health look like or when, we, when we're not being healthy with our emotions, there's no space between stimulus and response. Ooh. So what do I mean? What do I mean here? I mean, either th- that we're acting out of autopilot, we're buying things we don't need. We automatically, when our husband starts on the finances, we leave the room. Mm. We stress so we bring our cell phone to the table like there's, there's, a, there's no space between stimulus and response. So that's one way of having no space. The other way of having no space is... Um, the, the the psychological term is fusion or in, in my book, I talk about being hooked. Mm. And w- what do I mean by this? Um, our difficult emotions and stories, like we have around 16,000 spoken thoughts every single day. 16,000. Wow. And many more thousand course through our minds. So what starts to happen is we've got these normal, this normal stream of thoughts and emotions 
that are helping us find our way in the world and make sense of the world. What starts to happen sometimes is we start getting hooked by a thought or an emotion or fused with it. They're synonyms. They're they're the same thing, hooked or fused. Mm -hmm. And really what we're doing in this context is we are over-identifying with the thought or the emotion. There's no space for anything else. So here's what I mean. When you say something like, I am not good enough, what you've done is you've taken a thought, I'm having the thought that I'm not good enough, and you've now turned it into a fact and into a prison. Yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm. Into a prison that's now directing your action. There's no space between stimulus and response. Mm. So one of the most powerful ways that we can start developing emotional agility is to create space between stimulus and response. Mm. And the first way we do this is by stopping to hustle with our difficult emotions. Like stop trying to allow your, decide whether you're allowed or not allowed to feel something. You're feeling what you're feeling. So showing up to that emotion with compassion and acceptance is mm. powerful. Uh, we spoke in the Maximalist episode about granularity, about being you know, more granular about your emotions instead of just saying, I'm stressed, actually trying to get deeper. Like, is it stress or is it disappointment or is it sadness? Mm-hmm. When we are more granular with our emotions, you can see like if you stressed, then you kind of fused your body, your psychology doesn't know what to do with it. You, mm-hmm. You're just like stuck. But if you start saying, actually, this thing I'm calling stress is actually I feel unsupported. As you start labeling unsupported, There is this remarkable thing that happens psychologically, which is you start understanding the cause of that emotion and also what you need to be doing in relation to it. Even as I use the word unsupported, Mm. it's like, why am I unsupported and how can I get support? And so when we become granular with our emotions, it actually starts to activate what uh, scientists call the readiness potential in our brains, the parts of our brains that help us to not be held hostage by the difficult emotion, but to rather step into our values. Mm -hmm. So that's the second thing. And then another thing that's really important that we haven't touched on yet in terms of emotional health is to not over-identify with the emotion. In other words, we create space between stimulus and response by recognizing that we aren't our emotion. Mm -hmm. We aren't our thought. So I'll play this out for you. If I said to you, to you, Josh, like, oh, so you uh, a, a person, you a business owner, you're an entrepreneur, you're a father, you're a child. It's like, yes, of course, I'm all of those things. Okay, that doesn't feel foreign to you. Like, you are all of those things all at once. Sure. But when we say, I am sad, mm. often what we're doing is we are saying, I am all of me is sad and there's no space for anything else. We literally defining ourselves by that singular emotion. And so what starts to happen is it's almost like, so this is fusion. This is what fusion actually is. It's almost like the emotion is a cloud a cloud, and you have become the cloud. Mm. Okay, I am sad, all of me. There's no space for anything else. There's no space for wisdom, values, intention, breathing, compassion, connection. There's no space for anything mm. else. So a really powerful way that we can start creating the space is by by noticing and labeling your thoughts, emotions, and stories for what they are. Mm. They are thoughts, emotions, and stories. They are not fact. They're beautiful. We can honor them, but they are not fact. Mm. So what do I mean? I, I am sad. 
That's fusion. I'm noticing that I'm feeling sad. Mm-hmm. What you're starting to do here is you're using language to create space between you and the feeling. Mm. I am not good enough. Okay? That's fusion. Mm-hmm. I'm noticing the thought that I'm not good enough. Mm. Okay? Yeah. I'm noticing the urge to buy that thing that I don't need. Mm. So what starts to happen is when we start noticing our thoughts, our emotions, and our stories for what they are, which is thoughts, emotions, and stories, Mm -hmm. we start creating the Viktor Frankl critical space between stimulus and response. Mm. So we start recognizing, actually, here's the beauty, which is we are not the cloud. In fact, we are the sky. Mm. You know, we are the sky. We are beautiful and capacious and human enough to experience all of our difficult emotions and thoughts Mm -hmm. and not be owned by them. Yeah, that's great. It it makes the whole cliche of stopping and counting to 10 take on an actual meaning for me because it gives, I mean, I'm not recommending that per se, although maybe I am recommending it, but you know, when you stop and count to 10, it gives you time to kind of process the emotion rather than act on it. And you also talked about in the maximal, like hugging yourself. Yeah. I feel like that's a great way to pause as well when you're having a really negative emotion. Uh, Often when I'm doing talks for organizations, people say things to me like, well, you know, our teams are going through a gazillion Zoom calls every day. How do we help them to develop a better sense of connection? And I'm like, a better sense of connection starts before you go on the Zoom call. Mm, Um, (laughs) You know, it goes in like actually grounding yourself. and, And this becomes really important. You, you, when people think about emotions, often they say, well, you know, I my emotions catch me off guard. And so, you know, I'm struggling to manage my emotions effectively because they catch me off guard. But actually, when you, when you look at it, what you start recognizing is it's not off guard at all. It's mm. very patterned. You know, mm. we've been having the same argument with our spouse for the past 15 years. It's, it's like not off guard. Mm. And so doing this thing, which is the power in the pause, and it is the power in the pause, what it's starting to do is you're starting to say, you know, I'm being undermined. I'm noticing the thought that I'm being undermined. Mm-hmm. You're not avoiding, you're not pushing aside, you're not getting stuck, but rather I'm noticing this thought and you're starting to create a little bit of breathing room for yourself. Making some space for it. Alabama, I'm going to apologize to Christy. We're running out of time. Christy in Bell Fountain, Ohio. We will get to her voicemail on a future episode. She called in, left a very thoughtful question. But Ryan, what what time is it? You know what time it is. It's time for the lightning round. This is where we answer our readers' uh, text messages. Mm -hmm. They can text us directly, Josh and I, uh, they can just text 937-202-4654. Send in your questions, send in your comments, send in your smart remarks. So Susan, what we do during the lightning round is we try to share a little pithy response. We call them minimal maxims. Podcast Sean tweezes them out. He puts them in the show notes so people can Amazing. This is your long-winded way of saying don't be (laughs) (laughs) long-winded. By the way, you can find all of our minimal maxims now at minimalmaxims.com. Heck yeah. Thanks to Social Jess. Hey, Alabama, looks like Kim has a question for us. Lately, it's been really loud inside my head, and I can't stop worrying over things I have no control over. Any tips for how to snap out of it so I can get back to daily life? Yeah, when it's loud inside your head, that is often we're starting to brood. 
we're starting mm. to ruminate. And so a very, very important way of starting to move beyond that is this labeling. Like what is what is this thought? What is the worry? And like what is it signposting around what I care about and mm. how, how can I move towards that? That becomes one of the most powerful ways. As soon as we start trying to push thoughts aside, there is what we call an amplification effect. And amplification is if you've ever tried not to think of a piece of chocolate cake, we know all we do is think of the chocolate cake. So when we try to push difficult thoughts aside, they actually come back stronger. So it's important to pause and to label and to try and understand what is what is the light that's being shone for me about what I care about. Mm. Um, and I think also important there, recognizing, you know, what what can't you control becomes really critical. Yeah. I have something pithy from Susan, from her book, actually. So the book is called Emotional Agility. Do I do pithy agility? sometimes? Yes, yes. <laughs> you, you talk about self-compassion a lot in the book. Yeah, yeah. And one thing that I tweezed out was self-compassion is not about lying to yourself. Mm. Yeah. I think those of us who struggle with self-compassion, we all often think, well, I, I'm telling myself some sort of false story. I'm lying to myself uh, and, and instead of being compassionate. Yeah. One of the great myths of self-compassion is that it's about lying to yourself, that it's about being weak or that you're being lazy or you're letting yourself off the hook. Mm. And actually, the, the research shows you could not be further from the truth that when you are self-compassionate, when you've got your own back, actually, people who are self-compassionate are more honest with themselves, have have um, stronger expectations of themselves, are more likely to go for what matters in their lives because they know that if and when things don't work out, they'll have their own backs. Yeah. So it's one of these paradoxes where sometimes being self-compassionate feels like it's being weak mm. and yet self-compassionate is actually what gives us inner strength. Yeah. Here's a, a pithy thought about worry. I wrote this down as a minimal maxim. To worry is to punish yourself for something that hasn't even happened yet. And Ooh. so quite often we are telling ourselves some story about some catastrophe. You know, we, we catastrophize this. We turn the, the, the mountain, the molehill into a mountain, yeah. right? And as we do that, we worry about something. We're punishing ourselves right now in this moment. Yeah for something that hasn't happened, may never happen. Yeah, It's not to say that worry isn't useful, but also it can compound and create something that doesn't exist at all. It, absolutely, absolutely. And, and I think that this is one of those things of like connecting with... Connecting with what matters to you. Like if you if you're taking on a project and that project has a level of risk to it, and we have like a whole lot of worry about the project, um, what that worry is actually signaling is that there is this goal, there is this thing that matters to me. There's this thing that's purposeful to me that I want to move towards. And I think if we can hold on to the purpose of what we're doing, mm. we are more likely to feel free. It's the difference between you know, a have to goal and a want to goal. A have to goal is like, I have to do this thing. I have to present in this way. I have to be liked. I have to, and we start getting worried about whether we're going to succeed in that particular thing. A want to goal is where we connect with our values, where we say fairness is really important to me. Mm. So, so how do I, in this conversation that I'm worried about, how do I have it fairly? Yeah. You know, how fair is it if I don't have this? Mm. And so we're bringing our, our values much more front and center to um, what we're doing in a way that's very liberating. Yeah. Yeah. 
So, uh, Josh, he helped me come up with this pithy saying this morning. Um, <laughs> the calm is waiting beneath the chaos. And, you know, I've got a second one to kind of go along with that. I was talking to a friend this morning and we were having a conversation about this podcast and I was talking to him about how yeah. like, my whole life I've been working with my emotions and how excited I was to like be with you to like really, yeah, to really um, <laughs> kind of even process them even more. Um, but he, he said during our conversation, he said, there's no way out, but from within. There's no way out, but from within. Yeah. His name is, his name is um, Osiris Shea. I told him I quote him because it's, it's absolutely his. It's beautiful. But it's, it's such a beautiful saying of, you know, we have to look inside and find those, we have to find a way to find those pauses because ben, again, beneath that chaos, there does lie some silence. Yeah. We, we live in a world that tells us that we can fix everything. Mm-hmm. You know, if we don't like our cell phone, we can buy a new cell phone. And if we don't like our house, we can repaint it. Um, and often what we try to do is we try to fix our difficult experiences um, with uh, forced false positivity, like Mm. just trying to be positive, just pretending that things are okay. Um, But in truth, there is no way out but from within. From within, yeah. And um, the within shapes the outward in such beautiful ways. Yeah, absolutely. And then we're talking about guilt and shame. And I just had this pop into my head, and maybe this is lame, so you can uh, you on the maximum. <laughs> on yeah. the maximum, we talked about guilt and shame. Yeah, yeah, on the maximum, we did. But, but kind of what you were talking about with pausing, you were kind of helping people move from from shame to guilt. Yeah. So, uh, shame is lame. Guilt can build. <laughs> <laughs> okay, yeah. all right, I'll give you that one. Speaking of lame, <laughs> <laughs> don't tweet that podcast, Sean. <laughs> All right, uh, Alabama, we got a lot more to talk about. But first, what do you got for us? Here are some voicemail comments and insights from our listeners. Hi, this is Anson Feller. I'm calling from Salt Lake City, Utah. I'm a designer and frequently help clients navigate through the process of creating an intentional home. And in this process, I avoid trends at all costs. If we really look at what trendy design is, um, we see that it's designed to encourage consumerism. Companies are motivated to make products that will eventually go out of style. So I direct clients to architectural and design history to inform the style of the home. Quality is just as important in function as it is in design. Hi, this is Tracy from Madison, Wisconsin. And I wanted to share that over the last uh, maybe six weeks to two months, my relationship with social media has drastically changed because my intention with it has really changed. Um Mainly, I'm a kidney donor, and I started really speaking up about it and trying to educate people and becoming a resource for people who were curious about it because there's so few out there because this happens, but almost nobody talks about it. And it's been so rewarding in that almost, well, every week a new person or even more than one person will contact me about donation. And it is the most rewarding way I have used social media. I also talk about finances, which was actually spurred from the budget podcast by The Minimalist. And I have gone like hellbent on paying off debt, not using credit cards. And I now have this ripple effect in my social network of other people that are doing the same thing. So it feels good to be intentionally spreading the good and sharing the things most people don't talk about and seeing really positive results and even richer and more positive connections coming back from that. All right, y'all, before we get to our right here, right now segment and our added value segment, big thanks to Dr. Susan David. Here's her book. Yeah. It's called Emotional Agility. We dive deep into the book on the Maximal episode over on Patreon this week. But real quick for right here, right now, here's one thing that's going on in the life of the minimalists. You may know that 
a few years ago. I think it was back in 2016, Ryan. We we teamed up with uh, Carl over at Minimalissimo and Albert over at Five Style to create something called Minimalism Life. Yeah. And it's a side project of ours that we've been working on to curate the best in minimalist travel. That's Five Style. And, mm-hmm. and I mean, he is unbelievable aesthetically and Carl as well. Carl has inspired me from day one. Yeah, he's he's I got to meet him in person when I was in Edinburgh. And yeah, he's a wonderful man. He's awesome. And so we teamed up with them to create Minimalism Life, the best of minimalist travel, well-being. That's the minimalists and minimalist design. That's minimalissimo. And so recently we acquired minimalism.com as the domain for minimalism life. Mm. And so if you want some articles, some design, some wallpaper, everything minimalism, you can head on over now to minimalism.com and you can find that website there and bathe in the simplicity. Bathe in minimalism. So do we need to get minimalism.net now? (laughs) (laughs) We need more minimalism. We need more minimalism. (laughs) You can also follow Minimalism Life on Twitter, at minimalism. We had a kind person gift us that handle. They were sitting on it for a while. Or uh, follow the beautiful photos and videos, reels over on Instagram or TikTok. We'll put links to all of that in the show notes when as well. I, when I'm scrolling on Instagram, I'll see like an amazing, like very thoughtful photo. Mm-hmm. I'm like, oh, who is this? I'm like, oh, this is our, this is ours. <laughs> <laughs> and a lot, a lot of it has our written words uh, associated with the photos. So you can find all of that over at minimalism.com now. Ryan, for our added value this week, since we've been talking about emotional clutter. One way that we clutter our lives emotionally is when we are emotionally unavailable. Mm. When we are unavailable for the people that we love, you know, we might be there, but we aren't there, there, you know, we're somewhere else. Our mind is somewhere. Maybe we're stuck in our glowing screens or we're thinking about something else or someone else or some other circumstance. And quite often it's making us miserable and also the people around us feel like we're emotionally Unavailable. Yeah. I got a mellow pop song for you today. This one is from Caroline Polachek. It's called Bunny is a Writer. And you'll even notice there's a sample in it. I think it's a sample. There's a static. In fact, I bet the song is playing right now in the background for you if you're listening to the audio version of the podcast. If not, if you're watching the YouTube version, you can click right up here and there's an awesome video for, uh, for this song. But you hear the static even. And that, to me, is the emotional unavailability. Even within the song, the song is mimetic of of what we experience when someone is not available for us right there, even though they're in front of us. And the, the song, The Bunny, A Bunny Rabbit, is sort of the metaphor, right, for our emotions that we can't get a hold of, which we talk a lot about on the Maximal episode this week as well. But in the meantime, check out Caroline Polachek. This is Bunny is a writer. By the way, Ryan, we got a bunch more surprise questions this week, like what are some ways we can help others work through their emotional clutter? I crave a sense of control from growing up in a chaotic household, but now as an adult, it's costing me my relationships and inner peace. How do I keep my emotions and trauma from holding me back? I think Ryan secretly wrote that question in. (laughs) And also, is grief considered emotional clutter or is it an essential part 
of experiencing loss. I actually wrote all these questions. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> uh, I do appreciate the questions from all of our patrons and the rest of our audience. Plus, we got a million more questions for Dr. Susan David and The Minimalist. And if you want to hear all that, check out The Minimalist private podcast this Thursday. Visit patreon.com slash The Minimalist or click the link in the description to subscribe and get your personal link so that our weekly private podcast plays in your favorite podcast app. You'll also gain immediate access to hundreds of hours of private archives, recordings of live events, and our community of thousands of open-minded minimizers like you. You can follow The Minimalist on TikTok, Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter at The Minimalist. If you want our podcast show notes in your inbox, sign up for our email list over at theminimalists.com. On behalf of Ryan Nicodemus, Alabama Podcast, Sean, Jordan, No More, Professor Sean, Social Jess, Danny Unknown, Post-Production Peter, Emma the Immigrant, and the rest of our team, I'm Joshua Fields Milburn. If you leave here today with just one message, let it be this. Love people and use things. Because the opposite never works. Thanks for being here, y'all. We'll see you next time. <laughs>